0: I'm Kate Northrup
1: and I'm Mike Watts and we're partners in life, love and business.
0: Welcome to the Kate and Mike show, where we share insights and interviews on entrepreneurship, relationships, parenting, self-actualization and making a life, not just a living.
1: Welcome to the Kate and Mike show. This is a great podcast with our very first special guest on on the the show. We're very excited. We
0: are very excited. So today we have somebody we're really excited to introduce you to. Her name is Licia Morelli, and she is a friend of ours who also lives in Maine, rocking the good old state of Maine. And Licia and I met at a store called Leapin' Lizards. It's a metaphysical bookstore here in Freeport, Maine. And Licia was doing this amazing talk about teaching people how to tap into their own intuition and their own psychic powers. And we're going to talk about that and why Licia is no longer a psychic, which I think that's also a very interesting story. She's, she's, retired. she, yeah, she's a retired psychic. <laughs> <laughs> and she is an author of the amazing children's book, The Lemonade Hurricane, which teaches about mindfulness meditation for kids. She's a graduate of Naropa University. And she is an entrepreneur. She's an incredible copywriter. She's a mom of two and many, many other things. And so, Lisia, welcome on the show.
2: Oh, thank you. Thank you. I am so excited to be here. I am thrilled out of my mind to be your special guest here by the candlelight of your ambiance <laughs> and studio. And I am so grateful to be here. So, yay. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thanks for coming.
2: Yeah, thanks for coming. Just to set
0: the scene, for those listening, we are sitting around our kitchen table. (laughs) Mike decided to light candles, even though it's 11 in the morning, and we are all drinking seltzer out of wine glasses. So that's the behind the scenes of how we shoot the podcast or how how we record.
1: from our copywriter.
0: They actually were. Jamie Jensen. From Jamie Jensen. com. com. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you, Jamie. All right, so Alicia, I want to go back to... When you were studying at Naropa, and can you tell people a little about what Naropa is for those who may not know and what you studied there? That would be me. Right. That I don't know.
2: Yes. My cousin always calls it Nirvana University. <laughs> it should be called Nirvana University,
0: because that's the whole point, that's isn't it? That's
2: pretty much the whole point. So Naropa is a Buddhist-based university that was started by Chogyam Trumpa Rinpoche in the 70s, and Allen Ginsberg was there. There was lots of masters that came and studied there and taught there. And the program that I was a part of was the contemplative psychology program. And that was a program where you had both the Eastern and Western philosophies where you're learning about the psychological aspects of ourselves. So we did a lot of meditation, but we also had like abnormal psych, you know, so it was a very balanced program. And I also minored in religious studies with a focus in Buddhism. So it was a really robust time. Like you go into Naropa, I was a transfer student, which tells you a little bit about my entrepreneurial career. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I was. had gone to see you, Boulder. So I had gone to the University of Colorado in Boulder, which is a great school. I'd also gone to the University of Pittsburgh. So I had like gone to these great universities that were very mainstream, but I ended up at Naropa because I knew I wanted more out of the education I was getting. I wanted something that did have other influences.
1: Where's Naropa?
2: It's in Boulder, Colorado. Okay. So it's at the bottom. It's so funny because... University of Colorado is at the top of the hill and Naropa is like this little teeny tiny college at the bottom and people would always be doing, and I actually lived across the street from Naropa when I was at CU and I would watch people, they would be doing meditation, they would be doing yoga, they would like be on the lawn and this was in the 90s, like this was not when it was mainstream and I would look out my window and be like, what are those people doing? But then I would think, well, they seem to be having a better time than I am, (laughs) I didn't realize, you know, I had to actually leave Colorado and come back in order to go to Naropa. So I believe it was like sort of one of those things where I was put there to see it, to have it sort of sit in the back of my mind. And then a a few years later, I ended up going there and I graduated with a bachelor's in contemplative psychology and, and a minor in Buddhist studies and religion. And I left there and I can honestly say that I used the stuff that we learned. I used the meditation, I used the sort of lessons we learned just about how our mind works in the psychology of our everyday, every single day of my life. And I I noticed things I would never have noticed. And you know, it's sort of exhausting because sometimes I wish that I could just be like, oh, you know. Yeah. There's nothing I have to pay attention to today, but I have <laughs> carried that with me and it yeah. was a great education.
0: Mindfulness is tiring.
2: It's exhausting. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Where did you grow up?
2: I grew up in Pittsburgh. So I grew up in Pittsburgh. Like in the city, Pittsburgh? We were 10 minutes outside of the city. So I grew up in a little suburb called the North Hills. And we had really great access to the city. So it did feel like Mm. it felt less suburban, even though it was suburbia. It felt less suburban than some of the other places Mm -hmm. that are now more popular there as people moved further and further outside of it. I mean, I've lived a lot of places. I lived in Pennsylvania. I lived in Virginia. I've lived in Ohio, Colorado. Like, I've gotten the...
0: I love it. Taking the tour. All over. Yeah. So how did you figure out that you were a psychic?
2: Well, that was funny because I, you know, I should first explain that I come from a family that's very mainstream. Like, my dad was an accountant. My mom was a college professor. Both of my brothers work in finance. Like, I did not grow up in the woo. Nobody was like... But not the crystals and talking about, you know, (laughs) mala beads or anything. This wasn't happening in my house. And so when I was little, I would often, you know, have visions of things and see things but not know what they were. And a perfect example of this was after my grandfather died, I had made a little shrine to him in my bedroom. And my grandmother was a ceramicist. So she, and how old were you at I was time? eight. Okay. I was probably eight, yeah. All right. And my grandmother was a ceramicist, and she had, and my grandfather liked to golf. So I had a little ceramic statue of my grandfather as a golfer. My grandfather also really liked to drink beer, so I had a beer can. <laughs> and he also liked to smoke cigars, so I had a cigar. I'm pretty sure I was the only eight-year-old in the world <laughs> with beers and cigars in a room. What so kind of beer? It was, I think it was a Bud Light, if right. I can remember. I mean, it was solid, Checking like... <laughs>
1: What kind of beer it was?
2: Can. You know, I remember distinctly being like, wow. And my mom would just roll her eyes. But I would sit in my bedroom and I would talk to the shrine. And my mom would say, it always sounded like I was actually talking to someone. It never really sounded like I was playing pretend or, you know, imagining things. It really sounded like I was having a conversation with someone. And I feel like at that point, that's when I really started to understand, you know, Maybe I see things that aren't really there because people didn't really seem to understand what I meant when I was like, well, my grandfather, I talked to him. Well, fast forward, I sort of ignored it in high school. I got a little bit afraid of it. I didn't know what to do with it. It was sort of intense. Like, I'm also very empathic. So like, I would go to concerts with my friends and I would just like, it would be too much. And so I sort of blocked it off. But then in college, I realized like, oh, we should do tarot readings before... Going out at night. So, like Thursday. Like you do. Right. Like you do. I
0: actually did. That was totally my college experience. (laughs) It
2: was like watching friends and doing tarot readings and then going out to the bars. And I would do these things. I I never did that. I know.
1: (laughs) That was something. In Indiana
2: not, they weren't they weren't doing that?
1: Maybe they were, but <laughs> yeah. I was not I didn't even know what tarot cards were until Kate and I were driving across the country and she would like bust out these cards in the car. And I'm like, what is happening right now? Like, yeah, I didn't understand it.
2: They were your tour guides. They were like I guess this so. Is what's happen. <laughs> <laughs> so it was funny because I feel like a lot of people in Pittsburgh, to your credit, Mike, like a lot of people in Pittsburgh did not like they weren't really aware of the tarot experience either. And any good tarot reader mind you, would have said, like, no, 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 those were not tarot readings. Because essentially what I would do is I would see things, because I'm clairvoyant, which means I see things in my mind, like a picture or a movie, and I would flip over the cards and I'd be like, see the sun, all right. That's
0: funny. So you would get the messages, you would see them, and then you would just flip the cards and talk about them as though it was the card.
2: Exactly. That's
0: funny. So you didn't even really,
1: you didn't even really need the. That's cards.
0: really funny.
2: I did not need the cards, but I felt like a total weirdo if right. I was like, and I see a white light around her head, like yeah. people would have run in Pittsburgh. They would have run screaming and yelling away from me. Only because at the time it was like 1996. I mean, it wasn't like it is now. And so I would do these readings. Although I and-
0: think there's still plenty of people who would run running there's and screaming. Now, I don't even, yeah. I still wouldn't call it mainstream.
2: I love the Berg. I do. But I, I you do know my, too. I do know it's really location. nice. Well, you, and,
0: and you, we all remember, we all did find out that part of my family's from Pittsburgh and part of Mike's is. And so we all have the Berg in common.
2: Right, right. Yep. We all love, we all have great love. All roads do lead back
0: it's to true. Pittsburgh, <laughs> ultimately.
2: The three rivers will bring yeah. you together. Yeah. <laughs> so I would give these readings not thinking anything of it. And then... People would start to come knocking on my door and be, you know, oh my God, he did call me after his econ final. You were right. <laughs> and I would be like, I was right? Like, oh, you know, and I started to believe it more and more. And that's kind of how I got to the place of like really trusting it because I would get the feedback from my friends, you know, and it was always about love and what should I do with my life and who will I, mostly who will I marry? Like that's what everybody wants to know. <laughs> mostly. <laughs> mostly. <Yeah. laughs> all the college freshmen were like, who will I marry? But that's how it got the start. And then it was only after I had a few regular jobs. And then I would like have all of these sort of psychic hits in the jobs of like what to do next and how to get promoted. And that I started to believe it more. And then I started a side business doing psychic readings. And then it just evolved to a regular business, which was, you know, it was a good one. Yeah, it was good. (laughs)
1: okay i have so many questions i know me
2: too (laughs) i'm like
1: (laughs) i'll let you go it's not something like yeah like i just think back to the what was that miss cleo you know on tv when she would come and do your psychic greeting or whatever and then i heard yeah that's all like falling apart or something and lawsuits and all this stuff and she just passed away i think right yeah okay so what exactly so what's a psychic greeting i don't Have I ever... I don't know if I've ever actually had a psychic reading.
0: You've had your Akashic Records read. Right. You've had Astrology, which is... Correct. So you've had different things. I don't think you've ever had a psychic reading. No. No. No.
1: Not since we've been in... Not since we've been together. And And I I doubt you did before. Nope.
0: I think I'm aware of all the readings you've had since we've been together.
1: Most of them, yeah.
0: Most of them.
2: (laughs) Okay. No,
1: probably all <laughs> of Secret ones. Secret, <laughs> secret readings. Secret readings.
2: Don't tell my wife I'm calling. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I use that other credit card to pay for the So, The secret cash flow credit card. Yeah. Okay. So what exactly is a psychic reading?
2: Well, I'll start by saying it's a lot less intense than an Akashic record reading. Like I've had some Akashic record readings. I and mean, Those things are trippy. Yeah. Like I'm. I wake up from those and I'm like, You know, like, this is crazy. So a psychic reading is more of like, this is how it would work for me. And people do it differently and different people with different abilities have different ways of approaching it. So, like, if you were to call me up, I would say, hello, Mike, you know, nice to meet you. I would ask you to say your first name out loud and then I would begin. And what I would do is I would see the energy around you. And I would explain that to you and what images and pictures were coming at me, I would convey to you. So for the first 10 minutes or so of a reading, I would sort of launch into what was projecting out of you energetically in that moment. In that
1: 10 minutes. Right. Yeah.
2: You know, and usually, it, could, you know, most of the stuff had to do with, like, career stuff would come up, or, you know, I'd see the color of your aura, and I would explain what that meant for you as you move through the next couple of months. And- so
1: you say you see all of this stuff about me, but we're not in the same room.
2: Is no, we would be on the phone. Okay,
1: so how are you seeing that? Like, if I'm in California, and mm-hmm. you're in Maine, how is how do you see this?
0: Because she's a psychic. <laughs>
1: Over to you, Lisa. <laughs> well, it's like always... So I've had these readings before. I've had an angel card reading too. Remember when Kyle gave me an angel, angel card? But like, I don't know. My I, Maybe I haven't tapped into a part of my brain or soul or whatever you want to call it yet to be able to open that pathway for me to be able to like see these crazy things in people across the world. So yeah, that's what I'm confused. Like seeing it for me is like you sitting in front of me right now seeing that... Now, if we're on the phone and you're like, I'm sitting at my desk, I could visualize that in my head of what it would look like if you're, I don't know what your office would be. But I guess, so when you say you see it, you're just, it would be instead of me seeing you sitting at a desk, it would be you seeing me sitting at a desk plus all this other stuff. Right. Okay. Exactly. Is that right?
2: Exactly. Think about it this way. So my best example is... When you think of a friend that you haven't talked to maybe in a month, maybe in a year, maybe in five years, and they pop into your head and you think, oh, I wonder what they're up to. And then that day or the next day, you get a call from them or an email from them. You have psychically tapped into their energetic field, right? And by tapping into, you knew that they were about to reach out to you people wouldn't call it psychic, but it is. That's a psychic hit. Got it. And so it's the same type of thing. If you call me with the intention of having a psychic reading and finding out more about what's going on around you in your energetic pathway, then you would call me and I would be able to feel and see and process that energy for you because you have the intention of sharing it with me. Right. Okay. A lot of people, I always joke, a lot of people get like, pit sweat when they're about to get a reading or they get like nervous, but it's because their energy is so heightened. It's sort of gearing up for the information to be shared that your physical body is like intensifying. And so, you know, people get nervous and I would always say to people, you know, like I, I would always pit out before I <laughs> reading. I mean, it's disgusting, but it I makes would sense. like sweating. Yeah. Like, oh my God. But it's because your intention of sharing that information it's going to then reverberate to me energetically. And that's how I can see it. Cause I can kind of, cause all you need, I could even do readings over email and they were hugely right. effective.
0: It's yeah. Just, you had, you've given me over the, you know, the year since I've known you as few snippets, like just even over text or a visual that you got. Right. So that's all super fascinating and awesome. And one thing I learned from you is that everybody has this, that there's Claire, Voyance mm-hmm. to see, you see things, clairaudience, which is some people hear things, and then clairsentience, which is some people feel things. Right. So not everybody sees pictures. You'll get your information in different ways. So for you listening, just think about how you get your information. Are you a clairvoyant, a clairsentient, or a clairaudient? Everybody has this if Everyone. you pay attention, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Everybody.
0: But so then you're retired, you retired as a psychic. And I'm so tired. I'm really curious about that story. Cause actually we haven't really gotten a chance to sit down and talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. What happened?
2: <laughs> what led to your retirement? Yeah. What led to your retirement? So in 2014, I was diagnosed with stage three melanoma. So I had, I call it a pesky mole mm. that was on my neck that I promptly ignored for four years. And only because I had two small children, and what could possibly be wrong with a 34-year-old girl? Like, I just didn't even think it would be feasible. So I was actually at a Easter brunch when a physician's assistant friend of mine grabbed me by the shoulder and said, Have you had that checked? And I was like, Oh, no. It's just a mole. Like, I'm covered in moles. It's just the way of the world. And she goes... That has all the signs of melanoma. Like, you need to get that checked. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And being in Maine, of course, and getting into a dermatologist takes a really long time. So another year went by before I actually got into a dermatologist and was able to get it removed. And... What happened was, is I was there, and at the height of this was the height of the psychic business. It was taking off. I was becoming more well-known. I was traveling all over the place to give talks. I was collaborating with amazing people. I mean, I was, like, on the track, right? Like, I always say it was, like, the almost famous track. Like, I was on the bus while everyone else was... I was opening as the... I was, like, the bus opener while people were on the plane, and that was, like... I knew in a couple of years I would be that, you know. On the plane. On the plane. You know, the main (laughs) stage. You know, like I was, I mean, I was so hyper-focused on it. And it was a lot of energy output. And during this time, that's exactly what was going on. Like my career was taking off. I was getting really, really good strides with it. And I was really proud of myself because I was finally like really embracing this aspect of me that I had not embraced before. The
0: business owner. Business owner,
2: entrepreneur, psychic. Mainstream psychic, like things that I had never thought in a million years, and people loved it. They thought it was fun, and you know, it was really enticing to them. And and it was, you know, it was really sparkly to me too. I was like, this is really sparkly. Well, Hmm. I say that because as that's happening, I'm being told, you know, okay, so you have this melanoma. We're going to do a surgery, and we're going to see if it is spread to the lymph nodes. And I distinctly remember sitting in that office and my surgeon is one of the most incredible surgeons. His name is Dr. Emmerich and he's at Mass Eye and Ear. And I love that hospital to the Moon and Back. Like they were incredible and I just have such a good team. And of course I've now made all of my doctors be my friends. So, <laughs> so you're having this very practical experience in the science while I'm like, you know, a psychic in the world. So yeah. he's talking to me about how, you know, we're going to do this initial surgery, find out if it's my lymph nodes. And I remember sitting and Jed was sitting across from me and I'm looking. And then all of a sudden I just felt sort of this sort of swirl of energy. And it was like, it's in your lymph nodes. Just know that it's in your lymph nodes. And I was like, and that's not great. Like melanoma is kind of like a weed that way. It's not good. So I'm like suddenly going pale and they're saying, you know, don't worry. It's probably not. It would be surprising, you know, all of this stuff. So this is why we have to do the surgery. Well, of course they do the surgery. They do the biopsies. They find it in my lymph nodes. And then subsequently they found thyroid cancer as well. So it's like, but thyroid cancer is like having the flu of cancer. (laughs) (laughs) In the grand scheme of, I wish
0: we could make that a meme, but we can't, (laughs) but that's amazing.
2: (laughs) They're not yet like laughing about the cancer. (laughs) I mean, I you're funny.
0: You can only laugh about it if you've had it. I think. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. If that, I don't know. It's that kind was of a, funny. I mean, it
2: is like, <laughs> yeah totally. there's I feel like there's levels. There know, are so. levels. Yeah. yeah. Anything and
0: worth taking seriously is worth making it's fun worth of. Worth making fun of.
2: I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, yeah. So, and I'm always out laughing at, a, you know, me, like I'm always laughing at appropriately anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> so they do this second surgery and, you know, thankfully they don't find any more. They get it all out. and, Then I have to have a third surgery like six months later to remove my thyroid to get that out as well. So it was a lot of surgeries and I should rewind between my last surgery and my second surgery. So it was April and May of 2014 and again, still going strong with business. And then my third surgery was scheduled for December, but in the interim in July, I had to do a chemo called interferon Mm. and it's tough. It's five days a week for 30 days. And then you're meant to give yourself self injections for a year. Wow. And people have a really hard time. I mean, it's an intense, I mean, it's no joke. Like, so I go in, I mean, it was, I felt like people joke that cancer is like a war. It is like, you go in with the mindset of like, you have to be like an athlete. You have to be like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get this done. And so it was the first time, though, that I stopped working. I hadn't stopped working. I was still doing readings. Like, I would give myself, like, five days after a surgery, and then I'd go and do readings again, and I would go do talks. And, like, I was... Like,
0: I, I met you right in the middle of this.
2: Yeah. 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 I mean, and it was, really
0: like, didn't know that this was going on.
2: Right. Like, I yeah. was not... I wasn't, like, really allowing it to kind of move through me. Well, we mm-hmm. all know what happens when we don't deal with things. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. So... Long story short, I do this chemo and I'm on day like 27 and I'm laying in bed and my heart rate had dropped to 40 beats per minute. Mm. Your regular heart rate is like 85 beats per minute. Yeah. And what I didn't know, but I found out later is you have two heartbeats. I don't know the scientific terms, but you have two heartbeats, the one that keeps you alive, that keeps you going, that goes at 85 beats per minute. And then you have one that's like your emergency heartbeat Mm. that kicks in. If your regular heartbeat fails, that kicks in at 35 beats per minute. So I was five beats per minute away from having this sort of like, I'm just going to keep you alive heart, right? Until you can get to a hospital. And I remember Jed, my husband, I was laying there and he said, I'm going to go to the store. And I looked at him. It was fine. It was, I mean, I mean, he had to go to the store. Like, you know, it was just one of those things. And I had been sleeping and the doctors, you know, I was being treated here in Maine and, you know, things were going along. So nobody was like alarmed yet, but he goes, I'm going to go to the store. And I was like, you know, and I was like having this weird out of body experience. I was like, I feel like, I mean, something's not right. Like I could die, you know, like dawned on me. Like this is not right. And Jed in his very dry sense of humor was like, please don't while I'm at the store. (laughs) (laughs) Is laughing. I mean, I'm like half in the bag with yeah. this illness and I'm laughing. And I like, it was just like, because it, it's so us, right? Yeah. He just like, he met me right. <laughs> he knew right where I needed to be met on this one it wasn't, wasn't going to be like, mm. yeah. I was like, oh my God, I got to make her laugh. So, long story short, I go to my oncologist in Boston at MGH, Ryan Sullivan, who's also incredible. And he was like, you cannot take this medicine. This medicine will kill you. Kill you. Like, you are now more in danger of having cardiac arrest than you Whoa. are of dying of cancer. So you were never in your life are like I don't care what happens, you can never take this again. So it's like a three percent rarity that you and have this allergy to oh this chemo. My God. So of course I had it, you know. And then it was like, so I stopped that July 30th or something, and August 10th, send out an email. I'm back in business, taking clients. Let me know if you want a reading. Like, what? And so I just kept going. Hmm. And then I got my thyroid out in December. And I remember waking up. I had yet to read Eat, Pray, Love. <laughs> I was like, like, like yeah, I know. How did you miss that? <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> it was like somebody handed it to me. I was like, oh, I haven't read this yet. And they were like, what's wrong with like, you? Like, how is
0: that? Well, like, you know what? Like, I've never seen The Matrix. And I feel like, how is that possible? So, so yeah, there I understand. Go. There's yeah. sometimes a cultural thing that we miss.
2: <laughs> I just... Yeah, I missed it. I read that thing from start to finish after my surgery on my thyroid. And I would be curious, like in the Louise Hay thing, like what is your thyroid? What does it do? What exactly chakra? Right. Your communication, all of this. And I remember having it removed seemed pretty significant in some way. And I remember waking up from that surgery and thinking, everything has changed. Wow. And I didn't know what that meant. I just I didn't know what that meant. What I did know that it meant was that I was going to start stopping doing a lot of things. I just, this is a long-winded answer to explain, like, the retiring of the psychic business was that, number one, I avoided every single thing that I was doing from a medical perspective, I just drove it all into work Mm -hmm. and that's what kind of kept me afloat. And I think we all do it. I mean, if we're in a traumatic situation, sometimes we just have to drive all those emotions into something and then deal with them later. And that is okay. And I think I like really want people to know like, that's okay. Just know that you will have to deal with them. It's just a matter of time. Right. And it's going to look totally different than you think it's going to look because what started happening was, is I started stopping taking clients and then I started to panic because I was like, oh, God, you know, like, I have to replace this income. I have to, like, what am I doing? And then I was started grabbing at a bunch mm. of stuff. And April of last year was when I really sort of unofficially, officially closed the doors. Like, I let everybody know, you know, I wasn't, you know, all my team who I loved. I was just like, I'm just not sure what I'm doing, you know. I mean, I could just close the doors and slowly, but surely I would, people would email me for readings and I would decline, I would refer them out. And then I started to, like, really wrap that up. And the reason why was because I realized throughout this whole cancer experience that I was doing it for all the wrong reasons. I was doing it. I wanted to help people. I knew I wanted to help people. I've always wanted to help people. I wanted to inspire people. But the problem was, is that when you're doing a psychic reading, people give away all of their power to you. And I didn't want that. I didn't want their power. I wanted them to keep their power. I wanted to inspire them in a way that was going to help them be strong in their own decisions, be strong in trusting themselves and really be inspired to live life, whatever that looked like. I mean, if you're working at a bookstore, you're working as a CEO of a Fortune 500, whatever you're doing, let it be inspired. Let it be powerful. It creates interactions with people that are meaningful. Right. But what I was finding is that I was doing readings and I felt less of that and more of not, it wasn't that my clients were desperate because they certainly were not. And they were glorious and beautiful. And I loved them all. It was more of like, I just couldn't read in the way that I was able to read. I didn't have the capacity to help guide them back to themselves. So I was really doing a lot of readings that were like, you know, the basic, I was going back to the beginning of my career where it was like, who will I marry? How much money will I make? You know, and that was okay. And it was fine, but I had come so far and then back to full circle to that. Cause I mean, I used to be a 1-800 psychic person. Like that was a job I had and those were the calls I would get. And it really felt like I was losing traction because my heart just wasn't in it anymore. Right.
0: So, wow, that is quite... The journey that you have been on.
2: It was cuckoo banana. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, one question. So your mole, what was different about it than the rest of Because I have a mole on my face, yeah. right? So what's different about... This is a good public
0: service announcement.
1: Yes. A melanoma mole What should we versus, know about our moles? Yeah, what should we know about our moles?
2: The thing you want to keep track of is, has it changed in size? Does it have irregular borders? Like mine, it was not a perfect circle. It looked like you know, little peninsulas around it, does it variate in color and, you know, has it just appeared like, you know, if you've had it your whole life, likely it's okay. You want to keep track of it. But if something you've had your whole life starts to change and grow and become different, then you want to get that checked. Okay. But this mole, it was six months after I had my daughter Elsa and it just, I mean, it was overnight. Popped up on my neck. Wow. I look at pictures from years before; it's not there, or if it is there, it's really, really tiny, and you can't even see it. And then, boom! It was like an island.
1: Like we're talking, wow. it grew into like a dime size, or
2: it was probably the size of an eraser head. So that's oh, the okay. size. Got that's it. the size you want to look at. Like, is it a, an eraser head or larger? Yeah. And when it appears, like, okay, you know, what? What else? Because I have you that.
1: Yeah, because I have a mole on my back that we, that you always look at yeah it's fine it's, though yeah right yeah. but that okay that makes sense yeah. <laughs> not that we're not gonna go we're just talking moles.
2: moles talking moles. Yeah. you know i had okay. one I on my curious. arm as
0: well that my mom was like poking at for years and yeah. she would always be if i ever wore like a sleeveless shirt she was like has that one you yeah. know? Has that one changed? Are you? She was always poking at it, and I finally yeah. did get it removed. But. Okay, yeah. well, thank you for the public service. Yeah. announcement. get your PSA, get your moles checked, get, get, get your moles checked, get naked for your dermatologist. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, and but but you can keep an eye on those things yourself. Yeah, and so thank Self you. Self care is good. Self Self-care care is really important, and so now. And I want to know now where the journey has taken you, what are you working on now? Like, cause I know you then created some things in the meantime and you've really been in this exploration phase. And what I love about your exploration phase is I'm sure there might be a different story inside your head, but from the outside, <laughs> as part of your entrepreneurial community, like there's something really beautiful about the way that you don't apologize for your exploration. And it's rare because so many people are like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just, uh," and you're like, I'm going to do this and I'm doing it for real. And now I'm doing this and I'm really excited about it and I'm doing it for real. So it's not like piddling around, like it's powerful. So how could you have any, tips or like suggestions yeah. or wisdom for people who are in that fertile void, if you will, that in between of like, I had something, I knew it wasn't right. I'm in the process of creating something else, or maybe I'm creating multiple things and doing it powerfully and unapologetically so that you actually do get, I don't know, just so you get traction and then also you just feel better.
2: Yeah. Well, first I'll say in that void, you're going to mess up. Like you're gonna think something's the thing, and you're gonna grab hold of it, and you're gonna try it, and it's not gonna be the thing, and you're gonna maybe do that a few times before you really. It takes a lot of that, and I think for me, you know, I've been on the internet a long time. I, yeah. <laughs> I feel like if only I had listened to my mother in 2008 and really stuck with my Twitter situation, I could have. I could be doing other things right now, but I'm not. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so. But what that taught me was like, there's a lot of fits and starts and you've just sort of got to be bold in what you do because if you're bold in what you do, people will believe you. Even if you're floundering on the inside and you're scared to death, which I have been a lot. I mean, there's a lot of fear that comes up, but I always think to myself, if I'm afraid, I'm not alone. People are afraid. And if, if I put myself out there, then maybe that'll give somebody the courage to put themselves out there too. And I think what you have to do and what I always tell people is don't overthink it. I mean, I'm one of those people that jumps in feet first without testing the water. And sometimes you do maybe want to take a little bit more calculated risk on that because and plan a little better because it is a little overwhelming because ultimately you end up in the same place, right? I'm not talking about like making everything meticulous. I'm just saying, okay, you have an idea. Let's say you have an idea for the podcast. Well, what right. do you need? Make a list. Then maybe just do a podcast. Is it fun? Test the water. And what I always say is, as you test the water, notice what works. Because when it starts working, it really, really works. And if you trust that you don't have to know all the answers right away, then it's going to keep working and you're going to keep getting guided. I mean, we all know the hints from the universe, the breadcrumbs, you know, Mm -hmm. from the woo-woo perspective, like you think about a red car and then suddenly all of a sudden there's red cars everywhere, right? It's the same thing in businesses. It's the same thing when we start with an idea and we really grab hold of it and we try it. If it's going to work, there's going to be more of that that shows up. If it's not, you're going to know pretty quickly. And, you know, like we were talking about before, Kate, I just feel like Sometimes I get a a really good idea and I feel really passionate about it. Laura Belgrave from Talking Shrimp, she always says, Licia, you're a professional enthusiast. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That is so true. Are you a seven on the Enneagram? I don't know. I think you are. I might be. I am also a seven and we are enthusiastic.
2: Super enthusiastic. Uh, Yeah.
0: Easily inspired. It's such a good quality, I think.
2: I love (laughs) it. It's so fun. It's never boring. Like it's one of those things, where I I hear about something. I'm like, this is the thing. Like that is so fantastic. And you know, I always laugh because I really embrace that. Like if you need a name for what you're doing, embrace something kooky. Just be like, I'm a professional enthusiast. I have it on my email signature line because there's really nothing else right now that I could call myself. And so I guess my biggest tip is number one, really, if you're going to go for something Go for it and don't, you don't have to like, everybody on Facebook always is announcing like, Hey, I've changed my thing. Like, no, don't do that. Just say what you're doing. You know, I've had to put posts up of like, and I'm doing this and I'm also doing this, you know, and, and I think that that is a much more solid way to come out. Of the gate people will believe you they'll be excited for you they want that sort of inspiration for themselves like oh look what she's doing now you so know? that's really
0: an important distinction that you just made there's like a real energetic difference mm-hmm. there between coming out and I think we do think about like how am I going to announce it on social media how's it going to look to my Facebook friends like right. we do think about that and then we think about going to the holidays and like all the aunts and uncles who are going to ask you what you're doing and then having to figure out what to say I or see. like going you know just people I know I have friends who have avoided being in social situations because for long periods of time, because they don't, they're hanging out in the question, they're living in the question, right. or they're not proud of what they're doing right now. Cause they're on their way right. elsewhere. So, so that difference that you just said of like, instead of coming out and saying, Hey, I'm re- rebranding or doing something completely new instead, just doing the thing. Just do it. Yeah.
2: Take I the it. Nike ad and just do it. Just do it. Put and your running shoes on like, run. I'm
0: doing this thing. Yeah, it's really, it's very powerful. And it makes you seem not like a spaz, but like a powerful businesswoman.
2: Well, thank you. Because I often yeah. worry. This is my biggest fear, right? That I'm a spaz. Because I, <laughs> like, people are like, what? You know, like, I'm afraid that people are like, wow, she's had 50 jobs in two years. Because I kind of have, you know. And I think I get really caught up in that fear-based thinking but then I think, like, well, who's it hurting? It's not hurting anybody. Like, who cares, you know? I mean, so people have some judgy McJudgers about it, but they're going to do that anyway. Totally. And I might as well like what I'm doing and be enthusiastic about it and really own it. And so I think that is the distinction of, like, don't apologize for making a decision. Just do it. And your people will stay with you. And the people that aren't meant to be with you, they will go. And that is okay. I mean you should see my newsletter list right now. It's like hemorrhaging, (laughs) which is fine because the beautiful souls that are staying want to be there. And I want to be there with them. And I think the other thing that I would say to people is test your market. Like, is there interest, right? You might have this amazing idea and it might be worth every ounce of energy because really being an entrepreneur, you're spending all of your energy, right? You're, you're putting a lot out there. It's a lot of sales and sales is a lot of energy and test your market because and test your hardest market. That's actually what I would say. Like don't test the people that are really enthusiastic. Test the people that are sort of curmudgeon about it. Like that are like, "Mm, I don't know what I think about that because you want to hear what they have to say to see if those objections are going to work for you and if they do and if your market sparks some interest and they're kind of like, Oh, I like this sort of watch the trend. Then you're going to give yourself more confidence as well. And you can kind of keep dipping your toe in the water more and more rather than jumping full in without any knowledge of what's going to happen. And I think that was also something that now I've learned of like, you don't have to have all the answers right away. But you want to pay attention to what's working so you can do more of that. And then ask your people, what do you want to see more of? Like right now, I don't have a business model, but what I'm doing is working. And I think it's working because it's all the things I've ever done combined in a way where I took the things that didn't work and I thought to myself, that didn't work, but this did. You know, back 2008 and Twitter, like that worked, but that didn't. So I'm going to do more of that with this. And I took all the puzzle pieces... And I put it together and I think, I think it could be wrong, but I think I might have found something that is sustainable for me because it makes me happy, but also for my audience, it gives them something that they want and need. And I think that those would be the big things that I would say for people.
0: Mm, That's great. When you went through all of that, and then now in bringing in like those lessons that you've learned in recreating, like in reinvention, right? You really have been in a process of reinvention one of the things that you've been doing, I do want to talk about The Lemonade Hurricane because it's a beautiful little book and it's such a sweet story that it, and we now have a daughter and I know you have two kids, six and eight. And it sounds like what you've been bringing in is the mindfulness piece into your business, like the mm-hmm. consciousness of what feels good, what's working, what's not working, what are my gifts and talents, what do people want? I mean, that's, that's mindfulness. It's like, how would you describe mindfulness?
2: I would describe it, and people would disagree with me on this, but the basic premise, just to put it in the mainstream, is just being aware. Yeah. Right? Being aware. You know, if I'm sitting here and I'm talking to Mike and I'm looking at him, I'm not thinking about what I'm going to eat for lunch, where I have to be in two hours, what I'm doing. I'm just aware that I am in this room with him, having a conversation, and not exiting anywhere, right? Like I'm not exiting through my mind. I'm also mindful of what are the sounds around me? What are the feelings I'm getting? What do I notice about the situation I'm in? It's just sort of being present in the present moment so that you can better engage with those around you. Now I say that and do I like look at my text message while Jed's talking to me or my kids are talking to me? Absolutely. Like I'm not perfect. However, it's the notion of how can we live an inspired life that's mindful and do the best we can with the people that are around us? And I think that's my definition of it. Like, how can we do the best we can for ourselves with the people that are surrounding us?
1: Awesome. Yeah, I love that. I want to know, I want to go back a second. Oh, okay. What was it for, I feel like she told her entire story and then you just kind of moved us through quickly. So my question regarding the ending your psychic practice. Yes. Because this is something... It's been a, it's still a part of you, right? Like you still have, you're just not professionally doing this anymore.
2: Correct. Right. right. I have a referral program. Right.
1: So (laughs) how, like stopping that practice really changed your identity for what you were doing in the world. Right. So, but then getting cancer through the journey as well, like how did you move forward to the next, you know, to what was next and what was that like for you during that transition?
2: It was pretty messy. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was pretty messy. Jed and I were just talking about this. We actually had a nice date night. Nice. Night. Yeah. Because yeah. we the there's L- a lot L- of times LVos. gone
1: by now. So you have, or what, a year? It's been two over, years. So y- it's yeah. been
2: two years. And, you know, cancer, remission is a polite way of saying in between treatments. Because mm-hmm. if you've had cancer, like the other day, I had to go and get a mammogram. I've never had a mammogram, but oh, it's the, the, the really have you bad.
0: heard about thermography? No. Okay. PSA. You don't need to get a mammogram. They're painful. And there's a lot of radiation in those. Thermography is actually a much more effective, less painful, less dangerous form of breast imaging. And there's just look up thermography centers in your area. And you can go do that instead. So oh. for the future, that could be your What's first th- and last mammogram.
1: What's a thermomix? Yes. It <laughs> actually
0: reads the heat patterns in your breasts and it can actually detect things more effectively because as opposed to like zapping you with radiation, it's just reading heat patterns and things that might... Down the road, turn into mm-hmm. something have are are basically like hot spots, yeah. and so you can identify them earlier and then make some changes as opposed to like, oh shit, there's a thing now yeah. it's right. so anyway and yeah what
1: what do they do at a mammogram?
0: they smush your boob between these yeah. plates and then like zap you with radiation it's yeah. it's like so inhumane. why do, women do that well, because it's been a screening it's process.
2: a it's a screening process for breast cancer, and I think yeah. you know it's just been the norm for so long but this is good no need for it thermography thermography okay but anyway (laughs) so many good health learnings
1: here well it's like why like okay (laughs) like there's no way a guy is going to go to a doctor and get his balls exactly between two plates or whatever right not we or if they did do it it wouldn't last very long no, like, they would, would have like, figured oh, out a freaking exactly. better way to do
0: it way earlier. But right. women are right. just like, okay, oh, I'll give away my power again. My anyway, so yeah. you don't need to do that again.
1: Okay. P- I so, like that PSA. All right. So, <laughs> okay, great. So I, I, ha- I want to know a little bit of the transition yeah. that took place. And then also the second part of this question would be, since Kate just mentioned it as well, with these clients that gave you all their power in their readings. hmm what is a way for, because there's probably some people listening here that are either practitioners or doctors or have clients. Mm -hmm. And this happens all the time. You Mm -hmm. can see it no matter whether you're consulting for businesses, whether you're a massage therapist, whether, you know, whatever, and you're in the service industry working one-on-one with clients. Most of the time they're coming in there and just giving you everything, Mm -hmm. right? So, and then fix my problems, right? Fix me. So what is it that maybe you could share some tips about, or just a tip that if you were to go back into doing psychic readings as, as a business in yeah. the future, how would you do it a little bit differently? Where they still remain in power?
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. So okay. To start with the t- the transition time was super messy, and I, I'll go back to kind of Jed and I yeah. talking about it. What happened for me? And I, you know, I read this study once that if you like, there's something about birth control that it changes your pheromones and actually inhibits like so many things that. You know, like you wouldn't normally make decisions about like relationships. Totally. Like you're attracted to people that you wouldn't normally be attracted. I mean, it's crazy. It's a whole right? other PSA, right? That's a whole. <laughs> we could have a whole episode. We on that. would
0: do a separate one.
2: Yeah. Um, and I believe chemo, in some respects, does mm. similar things to your physiological body. So if you have all of your cells dying and they have to rebuild, your physiological sense mm. becomes really, really different. And. Something, I don't know the exact statistic, but divorce after cancer skyrockets and I believe it has something to do with chemo and that could be the woo woo. It could be science. I don't know. I don't have any proof positive, but I know for me, I was relating to everyone in my life differently and Jed, you know, being the closest to me. So, you know, Jed and I have been together 15 years. We've been married for 10 And he is my best friend in the whole wide world. And it's important that I say that because he gets my cray cray. Like that guy, he's like not backing down. I will say something that's very, you know, out there and he'll be like, Nope, not going to back down from this one. And it's good because it is exactly what I needed during this aftermath. So, and I'm writing about this in the memoir. So I I Mm. feel like I can share it here, but, and this is actually the first time I've ever shared this publicly. So bear with me, but After everything started falling apart in my business and like after I was healing from all the surgeries, I said to Jed that I did not feel like we should be married anymore. It wasn't that I wasn't in love with him and it wasn't that I didn't love him and it wasn't that I didn't care about him. I just didn't think that we were supposed to keep going. Like I felt like I just don't know where we're going to meet each other now. I had this experience. You had this experience through my experience. They were totally different experiences. How could we possibly keep going? Like, how do we do this? And I remember saying that to him <laughs> and he would say to you, like, I pick really, really misopportune times to like tell him these things. Cause he was like, there's,
0: there's no good time to say really that no to somebody. Time.
2: But he looked at me and he said, I get it. I totally understand. And no.
0: that's awesome like
2: well you can't really tell me no like this is how i feel i really am feeling like this and he goes i don't care how you're feeling i'm not gonna walk away like this is i mean if i walked away from you right now you would be cutting and running in the same way that you have cut and run from so many things in your life and that right there was the thing that then anchored me in to how I had to get it together. Right? Like people talk about upper limit issues. Like that's my upper limit issue. Something gets, it's not that it gets hard and I cut and run. I just get scared and I cut and run. And it's easy for me to cut and run because I'm really good at doing it. And So I can convince anyone of the reason why it needs to end. You know what I mean? Like could sell divorce to anybody, you know, like yeah. this needs to happen and this is why. And he was just like, Nope, Nope, Nope. But I tell this story because, number one, I don't think I'm the only person who has had cancer who has had that experience. And Mm -mm. I think it's a very lonely road because Mm -hmm. people don't talk about it. And number two, it really is a good sort of grounding thing for people who are in business and who are entrepreneurs. You're not in this alone. And as soon as you start thinking that you are, that's when things go haywire. So, you know, pick a friend pick a coworker, pick somebody, collaborate with them, tell them how you're feeling, tell them how things are falling apart. Like tell them what you're doing, emote it out. Because when you're in this muckety muck of transition, the only way to find the tunnel and the light out of the tunnel is to really talk it through and really be honest with yourself about what is working, what's not working, what you're afraid of and where you're headed. So my biggest tip to that end is, Really turn towards somebody. If you have a partner, turn towards that partner because they want to support you. And if they don't want you to be supported in this way, then well, you might want to rethink some things. And then, <laughs> and, and ter- or turn towards a friend. Like you're not in this alone. And I felt very, very much alone. I didn't join any cancer support groups. I didn't, you know, I didn't really talk about it with people. You know, my friend Aaron once said to me through the whole thing, like. I feel like I just don't know what's going on. Like, I feel like you don't talk about it. So I don't know if that answered your question. I don't think it did.
1: But then also putting aside your psychic business. Right. Right. So you've now transitioned into some other things, which we'll talk Mm -hmm. about, and leading into this book. But that was kind of your identity for a while, right? And you were on the train or you were leading the bus and then soon to be... What did you say? The I forget plane. You, The plane. The, yeah, you're going to yep. lead the plane. So, yep. you know, you were on a trajectory of great success in this one, your identity for the psychic. So once you shut that down, mm-hmm. right, you just... The, thanks for sharing all that. That was mm-hmm. amazing. That um, And Kate actually went to Glenn and Doyle Mountain's event this weekend. Uh, and she told me at night, breakfast yeah. or last night that when people go through these really rough times like death or cancer or something like this or loss... Usually, people stay away from them mm-hmm. instead of come towards them. Yeah, where they need them the most. Where so if like if someone died that's close to me, a lot of people will be like, "Oh, I don't know what to say." Right, and a lot of times you don't have to say anything; you just have to be there. Right, you know. So that's really interesting about what you just shared too. Mm, I think yeah. that's really profound that your friend was just like, "Tell me what's going on." Right, you know. Right, but yeah. So like, then talk about the business side of this. Yeah. So putting aside to open up that space for what was next.
2: So differently from sort of my relationship aspect and side note, Jed and I are great now. Like everything is much better. And we actually, Esther peril talks about Mm -hmm. how you have like three different relationships and people can find her book, but mating captivity. Yes. Mating in captivity. And you know, we are definitely in a better place because of this. It's a different relationship. It's a better relationship. We've evolved. It is also a reflection of how I also divorced my business. Because it really was something Mm. that I, I should also say, Jed and I are not divorced. We are still married. Um, (laughs) But I did divorce my business in my retirement. So what happened was, is that as I started to really grapple with who I was and how I was in the world, and I started to move away, I took small steps to close it. It wasn't like a giant slam shed, right? right? I started to do less readings per week. And then I started to do less blog posts and then I didn't do anything on my Facebook fan page. Like it just was like slowly stepping backwards. And I think for people who are grappling with, you know, they're making a bunch of money and they have this business that they loved at one point, but maybe don't love as much anymore. It's just not the right fit it's good to just sort of take baby steps away from it. Don't slam the doors. Cause it may not, it may be that it comes back around. Like you may just be burnt out, you know, yeah. it, it may just be burnout. And if you take a few steps back and take a little vacation from it, then you're going to find like, Oh, you might infuse more love into one part of it that you really still love, but get rid of something else. I did the thing where you panic and you grab on to, you know, anything that's floating and you just try to make that work to replace the income to then, mm. And be done. Like, because I was I've always been the type of person that I don't quit a job until I have another job. Mm-hmm. You know? And it felt very irresponsible for me to do that at that juncture. And I learned a lot over the last year and a half with the ventures that I was doing. And I was able to get some traction and I was able to replace the income. And that worked for a while, but I still ended up right back where I was when I was going through the transition out. I still ended up feeling. Like, I needed more, I needed to do something else, and I needed to, you know, kind of get my bearings. So, when you're in that sort of murky place, the best thing to do is just take your time. Mm. It, it, there's no rush. I mean, even if every bone in your body is like, I can't do this anymore. Find the things that you can do and do those, but don't start grabbing at the first thing that lights up because it may be, well, it is something that you should do or you want to do. It may not be the thing and don't hope that it is. If it is the thing that's going to transition you out, let it be that thing. Just let it be what it is. And I think that was the biggest lesson for me as I transitioned from the psychic business of I could have done it a little more gracefully. It was a little choppy how I did it. That is one area where I could have said to everyone, this is what's happening. This is yeah. what I'm going through. I love you all dearly and I have to figure stuff right. out for myself. So communication is also key during those times. Like mm-hmm. really communicating to your community, really letting people know. Cause I think that's the other thing, especially now, is that people don't communicate. You know, we have that whole ghosting thing that happens.
1: <laughs> I, What's ghosting?
2: It's when
0: you're in a relationship and somebody just leaves and you never hear from them again. It's like this growing trend. Serious? Yeah. Yeah. We we thing. have a friend who this happened to. It was the first I'd ever heard of it. It's wow. It's unbelievable. I didn't
1: know this is a growing thing. I mean, oh, you matter. can still find them. Yeah, but it's like it's like with
0: there's like no conversation (laughs) about this relationship is over. They're
1: just gone.
2: Like you, yeah, like you could be in the middle of a long term relationship, and they're poof, yeah, no, this, yeah, that would drive me straight to the loony bin. If that was happening when we were like the dating age, I would have died. No, totally. (laughs) So wow, that's crazy. So, all right.
0: So I also want to know just because I think I'm wondering, and others will be wondering as well. How's everything going with your health?
2: Oh, thank you for asking. It's going well. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Because we
0: talked about the mammogram, so I think you were going somewhere with that. So
2: my thing is, you know, this also helps stay in the present because I found a lump on my breast and it ended up being a cyst, which... Hooray. Yeah. Hooray for cysts. <laughs> Never thought I'd to hear myself. <laughs> yeah. like that. But because yeah. of my history, it's the alarms go off and mm-hmm. I have to do a lot more than most people do. And so what happens then is, you know, you can't live your life thinking you're going to get sick again. Cause that was a lot of what the first two years were like, like every single scan, mm-hmm. every single doctor's appointment, it was like a heightened anxiety. But now I'm like, Oh And it's the same in business. Like if you can just relax and you can just say like whatever happens is going to happen regardless of me gripping onto the outcome or not, your life is so much fuller because it's not invading and seeping into every aspect of it. And so that was sort of. It took about two years to get there. They thought that the cancer had come back in this April. Everything happens in April and March. Um, (laughs) It's really crazy. I went and I had a scan and my lymph nodes were all lit up. There was like five or six lymph nodes that were lit Mm -hmm. up. And pretty much the consensus was the likelihood is that, yes, the cancer's back. So brace yourself. June will know for sure. So they had done a biopsy and the biopsy had come back clear. But they were all still sort of thinking it's probably back. And so for three months, it took, it was, it just took over my life again. And again, I, and that's really when I started to like back away from everything I was doing. And then in June, it was free and clear. And for that moment, I was like, I'm not going to do this again. I'm not going to let, even if I did have cancer again, I'm not going to let it ruin my existence. Like I'm not going to let it invade everything. And I think oftentimes, and we can relate this to business in that, lots of us as business owners have our own fears, right? We have our own anxieties. Will there be enough money? Will people like me? Will I be, you know, this book is being launched. Will it be read? Like there's all sorts of fears that we're embarking. But if we just allow ourselves to just live it rather than be anxious of the outcome, everything comes together so much more seamlessly because we're not trying to push it through. And I think that was something... I mean, that has always been my Achilles heel is the patience of, you know, how do I make this work? How can I make this successful? You know, what do I do? How do I work harder to make it happen? When in reality, that just makes things fall apart Mm -hmm. because it's just like force, 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 force. And then people feel that they know.
0: (laughs) It's true. Yeah, it is true. And then when you're like, what's coming to me as I'm listening to you is that this sort of like leaning back, the surrender, the letting go, the allowing, the hanging out in the murkiness. Like what practices come in in that? Are there practices that you have or is it more just like a journey and you're just kind of noticing along the way?
2: There's definitely a practice. Like I think I have to really be diligent about that. I'm one of those people that I almost need a nine to five job in order to have more structure in my life. Like, yeah. And so the practices become, so every day I wake up at five o'clock in the morning. And yesterday I woke up and Jed was like, good for you. <laughs> 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 I love that. I mean, it's so hilarious. Uh, I, was I love like, it. And I like did a fist pump. So tired, you know. <laughs> but I get up, and it becomes a ritual. So what I do is for five minutes. I don't do longer than five minutes. For five minutes, I just sit and notice my breathing. So I do a little meditation for five minutes. Sometimes I hold a, a stone like kyanite, or you know, I sometimes I do mantras with my prayer beads, whatever that is going to sort of let me sink in to that seat, and then I write. So writing, which I never understood. It took me a long time to figure things out. Like I'm almost 40 and uh, dear God, if I just known writing is my meditation. It's what clears out all of the angst and just gets it on paper. And when it's not living in my head, I am so much more open to so many things. So that then what I do is I set a timer for five minutes at a time and I write for five minutes. The timer goes off. I set it again for five minutes. I write for five minutes and then I see where I'm at. And so that has become kind of my ritual in the morning. And what I've noticed is that it does allow me to relax in. It lets me lean back. And there's a lot more spaciousness because everything's not muddling my head. And I think that's what people have to understand. Do the meditations that work for you. Could be walking. Could be, you know, doing yoga nidra. Could be running. Whatever it is. It doesn't have to be sitting in the lotus position, noticing your breath. That is helpful. It is actually a very effective way of doing it. But if that doesn't work for you, do what does. Make that space. So that's beautiful. what I've been doing. That's
0: beautiful. Yeah. And how do you like? How do you teach? So you've got two little ones.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Do you teach that to them? Is this something that you guys talk about in your household, passing this down?
2: Yes. So I always love because it's kind of because you're
1: six and eight, right? Six and eight. Yeah.
2: Yes. Sort of like the shoemaker's child always goes shoeless. Yeah. But <laughs> I get it. <laughs> we do our best. Um, but I, uh, funnily enough, I have actually, just the last three days, I've taught three classroom lessons for kindergarten classes. Oh, so fun. we did some mindfulness. And the way to teach your children mindfulness is, it's not like teaching adults mindfulness, even though we would like it to be and we'd like it to be that easy. They do by watching, right? So I will be meditating and... My daughter will wake up and I'll try to scoot her back to bed, but she won't. And so she sits and she colors in the quiet and it's 530 in the morning and she's coloring and I'm writing and it's sort of a practice.
1: This is super helpful right now. (laughs) I know, right? I Uh, love my morning time so much. Before Penelope, Kate would, I mean, I'd had an hour to an hour and a half to two hours before she didn't wake up. Yeah, You know, that was my life and I loved it. And I've been talking the whole time Penelope has been born. Or since Penelope's been born, I was like, <laughs> that made no sense. I like lost that. And it's been really frustrating for me. I really value that alone time. And today I woke up at 5, Penelope wakes up at 5.05. Yeah. It's almost every single time yep. it's like I wake up, she's almost up within 10 minutes. Yeah. You know, and usually I hear her because I'm up and Kate's still sleeping. So I have to go, I'll go wake her up or go get her or whatever. Try to get her to go back to sleep, but she won't. And so I like that. That was very helpful. Thanks. But then you have 30 minutes while I nurse her. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. So that could be your time. Well, no, I know. And sometimes I do do. (laughs) But it it doesn't always work like that. So, But I've been hard on myself about it. So like, oh, I just can't wait till Penelope sleeps till 7. I mean, she might never sleep till 7. You know,
2: she might not.
1: She might not. <laughs> seven. I hope she does, but...
2: Hollis
0: still doesn't... And know. Elsa is six. She's six. And she's still getting up at 530. So... Yeah. But what you said is that kids learn by watching. Right. Yes.
2: Yes. So, if you have Penelope with you... Now, she's still little, little. Right. But...
1: But the other day, I'm, I was doing. I started doing the heart math. Mm-hmm. Are, are, you, are you familiar with that? Yeah. Them? So they have an app now that you plug it. You hook it up to your ear, and then it measures your coherence. I guess I'm learning all these things. I didn't. Didn't. Know, I don't have a clue what they mean, but I'm starting to get there. But so I did all that for ten minutes in the living room, and Penelope just played on the floor. Yeah. So and that was the first time. The first time didn't work, but then that that time worked. So right.
2: Because they have to get used to it. Because right. it's a new Correct. way of, Correct. like, I remember even when Hollis and Elsa were little, little, and I would meditate, I would get slow. I would, And Jed, of course, was always laughing at me because he'd be like, you're getting really angry. This is the opposite of meditation. <laughs> um, because I would get so mad. Thanks, honey. They would, they'd be, like, poking me and, like, talking to me and making noise. And I would be like, no, we have to sit here. And I had like such an idea. And this is just like a small thing of like grasping onto an outcome. No, it has to be like this. When in reality, over the course of a week or two, they got the hint. They Mm -hmm. got what was happening. They got that, that small period of time. And at this point, Elsa was three and Hollis was five. And they got the point that when I was doing that, they could be around me quietly or they could do it too, or they could do it and then be around me quietly, whatever. And they just were watching the other thing for mindfulness for kids is that make it a game like i do I, in the back of the book there's a game you know a bell exercise where you ring the bell and you have the children listen to the bell and then they raise their hand when the bell stops oh and it just cool. keeps them yeah it's just simple and easy and they love it and they'll mm. raise their hand inevitably when the bell goes off but you just re-explain kind of what to do <laughs> and they, <laughs> Until they get it, and but this is the way that it has to happen because I feel like our age group we do have a thing for making our children into small adults, and I, I'm not sure why that is. Maybe you know, I, I don't know, I don't feel like that was necessarily our thing when we were little, but we want them to do these things that are so adult-like and really it takes all the joy out of it. Mm-hmm. They can't process it. So right. for you and Penelope, like this could actually turn into now granted. I mean, three out of four right. mornings it might not, but one morning a week, it could really <laughs> turn into a one, nice one morning a month. We have
1: success. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, mean, like, I don't want to set our standard yeah. but no, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I understand. Yeah. It could be, it's transitioning from, yeah, it's just creating that routine because right now she still breastfeeds in the morning. So right. when I get up and it's like Kate's like, "Yeah, she have thirty minutes." What kind of? You never really know what that's going to be like. If it changes, you know, that could be something that develops into something greater. We could sit in her <laughs> tent. And I just thought of this as a... We have a our... Uh, what's the thing called? Not it's a tent. A, it's a teepee. Teepee. Nice. She loves it in her teepee. And she'll stay in there for a long time if we're in there. So yeah. now I should just do this in the teepee because yes. then she'll just sit mm-hmm. in there with me.
0: And she can sit in there and, and hug been, her owl.
1: Yeah. It's genius. Wow, you, and we've I already... I mean, she's already an entrepreneur. I know you said making our kids adults faster. So... Yeah, thirteen months. I decided to start a business. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, that's solid. Yeah, good. We're getting getting it going, P.
2: So you both are powerhouses. So I wouldn't expect anything less.
0: (laughs) So you have the Lemonade Hurricane, which is about teaching your kids mindfulness, and it's really about showing rather than telling. Yes, right. Yeah, which is really such a great lesson for life in general. Mm. And then you're working on another children's book.
2: Yes, what's that one about? Yes. So currently there's actually two that are currently in the works. And the one is about free range children. And... (laughs) So everybody I know makes fun of me because, my I mean, I'm like the 70s. I would have been an amazing 70s house mom. Like, I would have drank my tab, locked my kids out of the house, and been like, be free, you know. <laughs> now I get stopped on the street. People ask me if I really want to be letting them walk around. And and they are old enough, and we live in Maine. Like, I mean, there's just a different way of being. And plus, if we lived in New York City, I'd probably do the same thing in some Aspect like mm-hmm. I am that person. And so one of those stories is about free range children and it's still in progress. I'm still waiting for the draft to be approved, but it's about, it's again, Emma and Henry from the lemonade hurricane story and how they are able to create this lemonade stand and go out into the world and get their things and make it and talk to strangers who want to buy their lemonade and know the good boundaries and know how to be in the world in the front yard with their mom in the kitchen and have that be okay. <laughs> so.
0: I think that's so amazing mm-hmm. because in this era of helicopter parenting, I was a free range child. Yeah. We had a babysitter who would send me and my sister out in the morning and we were so afraid to come back that we would just go to the bathroom in the woods. Oh my God. <laughs> and then when I got older (laughs) because she would send us back out. So we were just like, okay, we'll just stay out here. And then in the, and then later
1: create free range parenting, you fear them going home.
0: But then later with different situation, I just would get on my bike in the morning and leave. And then like kind of come home around dinner. Maybe Yeah, my parents didn't know where I was. There were no cell phones and yes, it was a different time. And I will say in the small towns in Maine, it's really still pretty much the same.
2: Right. Right. And
0: I plan to do that with Penelope and I love that. Yeah. Especially in terms of like instilling a sense in your kids that you trust them mm-hmm. and therefore they are trustworthy and then they learn to trust themselves.
2: Yes. Yeah. It's big. It's, it's a it's big really deal. It's huge. Yeah. It's a big deal. I and I, message. like I, <laughs> I have gotten so many beady eyeballs, lectures from other parents, questioning of my ability to be a mother, like, and I'm not neglectful in any way, like, I am involved. It's just that we have come so far from Mm -hmm. how we all were as children, and I am the youngest of three, Mm -hmm. and one of the youngest of many cousins, so... The eyes on me were like, it was never happening. (laughs) Nobody cared. Nobody cared what I was doing as long as I was leaving them alone. And so (laughs) I feel like that I can't help but have in my own life just because it's what I learned. But I also think, you know, I'm also having a lot of trouble writing this story. And the reason I'm having trouble writing it is because I want to do it really well. And I actually want people to be mad about it. I want people to have that opinion because I want it to make them think. And I want it to be a story where it's like, wow, what is she talking about here? You know, that girl that wrote about it, the New York City subway, she let her kid, Free Range Kids, I think it's called, she let her child take the subway in New York and have to find his way home. He lives in New York. It is important for this child to be able to find his way home. It is. He was like 10 or eight or something. Oh, like, yeah. he wasn't very old. And people were crazy about it. They were crazy. But I would rather that about this topic than anything else mm-hmm. because it does, I do think that there needs to be a change. I
0: think mean, that's amazing.
2: In our world, it's not as dangerous as the media would make you think. Do you mm-hmm. like how I whispered that? Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah but <laughs> nobody. nobody <would laughs> you, you, can just say would you just, just say no, it. no, no you can, I agree with you. it's not as dangerous with you. I agree It's because you see it the same thing over and over and over again like you turn on the news the news yeah. should be informing us of great things happening in our city but right. no it's no. about death because and murder Because that does, that's and not, like doesn't one get person, ratings up Right it no. doesn't get ratings yeah, up
0: Yeah if no. it bleeds it bleeds right, right. So, and I'm
1: with you on the same I mean the other day, I let Penelope play in the cabinet where all the storage containers are. And she pulled out the glass measuring cup that shattered all across the floor. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh. Well, I went to go pick her up before she started sitting down on glass. Right. But Kate <laughs> goes, what happened when she dropped it? I go, she just went right back in the cabinet and started pulling <laughs> more glass out. I didn't, was like, mine. didn't even Didn't even care. And... I so I like, don't know yeah, that that was a learning that's opportunity not a great, but it was free range experience <laughs> right. you know and then I put the lock on the cabinet so right. then she can't go back in there but yeah I just it's like she has the biggest thing I've heard about parent for since we're new parents now is they're like oh she's one you know or mm-hmm. she's just a baby you know mm-hmm. just a baby and I'm, now being around her so much this little person knows what's going on yes. she's one year she's 13 months now and she knows what's going on for a long time now and even probably since the day she was born. But it's really remarkable to look at a kid or not just our kid, but any kids like going, when we drop pee off at daycare and you see all the kids and they're like, I always give high fives to all the yeah. kids when I come in. So there's this one girl, Molly at the daycare. She's so cute. And she, I get in there. She's like, she's ready for <laughs> she's it ready every time I'm it. in there. And they know like the routine, it's really cool just to see them and what they're growing into and that influence and being, the society we live in now with, but we got to track them everywhere. We got to make sure we know where they're going. We right. have to, it doesn't, there's no trust in that. And that's the, right. I can say my parents, they trusted me in many ways and some other ways they didn't, but they did. And I know Kate's parents trusted her. So Yeah.
0: Yeah. So there's the books coming out. Well, yeah. the book there's the lemonade hurricane is out and then you're working on your memoir and you're working on these other children's stories, which mm-hmm. is amazing. And I want to know what else are you excited about? You, the, are perpetual
2: enthusiasts. My, my, yeah. My enthusiasm is yeah. stemming towards, well, right now I am loving Instagram. If you want to find me, find me on Instagram because in my account is Licia Morelli. And the reason why I love it is because every day it actually is part of my meditation, right? It's the thing that stops me for whatever I'm doing. And I can write something that I'm experiencing. I can be a enthusiastic about a product that I love or, you know, a podcast I love or whatever. But what happens is, is that every day there's a writing tip. So I use it as, you know, if you're, even if you're not a writer, it's something that can then help you kind of meditate into, you know, what you want to write about, or just like gives you five minutes where you're just writing. You don't have to judge it, nothing, but it's a tip that it's a prompt that gets you started. And then the post around midday is all about, you know, something I love, a product I love, a podcaster, you know, food, chocolate, yeah, <laughs> anything really, anything really that I'm super happy about. Um, and then the last, me- the last one is a meditation for before bed. So, mm. and last night's meditation was imagine a pink light surrounding you and feel that light, even if you can't see it, just sort of feel the warmth around you before you fall asleep and say to yourself, you know. I am good. I am whole. I am exactly where I need to be, you know, and then fall asleep. Like it's little things to do. And so I'm really loving that space right now because the community is growing really, really quickly and it's very engaged. I feel like it's like this sort of sacred space. And I think then the community around it is becoming sacred as well. And so there's books on there that I use. Like oftentimes the morning photo will have a book that I'm reading and so there's just a lot there and a lot to inspire to live an inspired life. That's great. That's awesome. Also, as an entrepreneur listening to
0: that, that's just like so smart from a social media perspective. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, wow, wow you're I organized. That's amazing. In the morning
1: I do this, in the like, afternoon I do maybe this. Maybe I could
0: even just get like plan to get one post out <laughs> a day. You know, so that was inspiring. Thank you. Yeah, that well, like awesome. made all my little idea things yeah. fire.
2: And the nice thing about Instagram is you can post once a day and it will work for you all day long with your hashtags. Right. And and so it doesn't have to be this like intense three posts a day thing.
0: No, but but I love that you're doing three because those are all very useful Mm -hmm. and it sounds like you're enjoying it. so that's the benefit, right? It's like you enjoy and it's useful.
2: Right. And I was just listening to the Seth Godin interview this morning with Marie Forleo. And he was talking about like, where are you spending your time and where, if you're spending your time, Do you feel like you really are leaving people with something, you know, is it valuable to you and the other person? Like, does it make you happy? Like, is it done with love? Like, what Mm. is happening? And I think that was the difference between what my old sort of entrepreneurial roles are and these new ventures that I'm doing is giving and love and philanthropy. Like, these were all of my core kind of beliefs. And I wasn't necessarily getting that in the other business ideas. So, cool.
1: Amazing. One question about your writing practice. Mm-hmm. So writing a children's book is not, it's not like writing a 200 page, like the book Kate wrote was like 150 pages or something. Yeah. So I would imagine when I look at it, it's not as much content right in that book, but the impact in a very short, in a shorter book, like there's less words. So the more challenging. Is, in right. In a it's way. More, a little bit more of a challenge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how does, when you wrote Lemonade Hurricane, you can share either that experience or with your new book. Yeah. Like, what does that look like?
2: So so I'll do both because they were both very different experiences. So the lemonade hurricane stemmed from an idea that literally dropped into my head. And those are the best ideas. Like I was on the phone with my publisher calling for something else that wasn't even about book writing. And I called and he answered and I said, I have a pitch for you. I haven't prepared it. This is what I have to give you the idea. Give me two minutes. And he was like, fine, go. And so I gave him the idea and he goes, I love it. We'll do it. And so that's how that came out of the gate. And so when I started writing it, it just sort of flew out of me. Like I overwrote. Because the thing with children's book is that you don't have a lot of pages. You don't have a lot of words. But you can overwrite the beginning right. and pare down. So I did that. And, I mean, it took probably 14 edits to get it to. Okay. Yeah. It was, it was quite a wow. bit of editing. And it changed dramatically from Where it started. The original. Right. And Tilbury House Publishers is amazing. They're also a Maine based publisher. They're amazing at providing books into the hands of children that teach without being didactic. Mm. And I think that is hugely important. The best way to teach. The best way to teach. And so they really helped me get to a place of here's how you do it. You know, I really learned a lot. So, step one, overwrite, just get all of the words down on paper. Step two, Pair down to the important points. Work with those. Step three, get an editor in there that is familiar with children's books because they will then show you where it can be done through illustration versus words. Got it. A lot of stuff is done through illustrations in children's book, so you really need one or two lines. Like, I use the Olivia books by... I don't know.
1: Do we have those?
0: No, but I am familiar with
2: them. <laughs> read and, all
0: the time. Um- and, <laughs> And it'll be in the show notes. It'll be the in the author. show. The, Alivio, thank you, the Olivia <laughs> Olivia, Pig, Olivia. Yeah.
2: I use, I think it's Ian Falconer. Okay. But I use him as an example because he is a genius at simplistic language, like one line on one page, three lines on one page. And his beautiful illustrations tell the story. So that's really, that was an inspiration okay. for this book. But it started with many, many words. Now, I'm trying very, very hard to write the second draft. And this is a book where it is eluding me because every time I go to write it, I am not finding my rhythm and it's terror. And so this is, here's the thing, like it's terrifying, Right. What if I can't find my rhythm? I won't get the contract. Then I spin out into like, what's wrong with you? It's a sophomore novel. Is Elizabeth Gilbert? Ever? You know? Oh, life is ending. <laughs> and I'm is over. I'm gonna, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die. Really gonna mess yeah. this up. And the beauty of it, like I said to a friend of mine the other day, like, what if I just hit the home run with the Lemonade Hurricane? Because it won the main literary award last year. It won, you know, several awards. And I'm like, what if I was one and done? Like, what if I'm not meant to do? this stuff. And of course she rolled her eyes and was like, just sit down and write. The yeah, totally. Thing. Like, <laughs> shut, up so, shut up and write.
0: Quit whining. <laughs> you know?
2: So this book I've had multiple, like I, I handed in my first draft and they gave me the feedback. And then when I got the feedback, I was like, okay, I don't know what to do with the feedback. Like it's been this interesting process. And I think it's because of several things, but When you're writing a book, especially a children's book, and you're running into these things, my friend Liza Gardner-Walsh, who does these amazing fairy house Mm, kits and fairy house handbooks, she's this great writer, she said to me, start to ask the characters questions. Start to have a conversation with those characters. What are they saying to you? Ask Emma, you know, well, how would she feel if Henry came up to her and said, I want to do this lemonade stand and I don't want to ask mom and I want to run around the neighborhood? What would she say, you know, as the mentee or mentor in that? What would Henry say? What would the children of the neighborhood say? What would the mom say? You know, and it just got me right back on track. Like awesome advice. Just, I mean, incredible advice. And she's just like, just start having a conversation. And now I have. And it's actually evolving, you know, into something, you know, a little bit more than I thought it was going to be. So to answer your question, there's like, it's never the same process. It's harder because there's so much fewer words, but you can always overwrite and you can always ask your characters questions. And when you ask your characters questions, write down exactly what comes to your head. And the other thing I would say is talk to your kids or talk to children, hmm. ask them, you know, ask them how they would answer it. Cause the stuff that comes out of their mouth, you couldn't even like, make up. No, like, totally. <laughs> I can only imagine totally genius. Wow. <laughs> so I want to ask, I have one last
0: question. Do you? Yeah. yeah? No, uh, okay. we can
1: go for it. My this last, could be the last question.
0: My last question is so, we talk a lot about making a life, not just a living. And my question is for you in what ways or one way are you making a life, not just a living?
2: Mm. Oh, I love that. And I love that. Cause it is so true. I think for me, I'm making a life by paying more attention to my immediate surroundings. Like I became a real estate agent for that very reason. Like I needed a regular job and I've always loved houses and I've always loved sales. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this. And I also did it because I wanted to be more in my community. I wanted to interact with my community. I needed to have a life in Camden. Like I wanted it to be sort of solid. And ironically enough, having that structure in my life, actually has made way for so many more ideas and so many more things to start happening. And it's exactly what I needed. And I think that's how I'm making a life is I'm not reaching for the stars. I'm just focusing on what's right in front of me and I'm open to sort of the ideas that come in. And as soon as I start to say to myself, like, well, what's the business model or how will you make money with this? Or what will you sell? Like I am stop myself and I'm like, it will find me. I have to trust that it's going to find me. And that's how I started making a life because I was making a living before where I was constantly chasing. It was the paper chase. Mm-hmm. And now I'm not even chasing that. I'm doing things sort of in this sort of n- normal way. And it allows me to be more present with the people that are around me. That's so awesome. It's nice. mm, great. Thank you. Thank you. Do
1: you have any last words for the audience of the Kate and Mike show?
2: Just that I am so excited to be here with both of you. You know, I feel like, I always feel like with the two of you, I met you and I was like, I just feel like I'm related to them in some way. Like I don't know. It does feel like
1: we're cousins. We're cousins. You (laughs) and Kate have a lot. There's a lot of similarity. I'm listening you talk about your story, and I'm like, oh, you and Kate should talk more. like really. really, There's like
2: I've always had that. Like we're from Indiana. I was born in Indiana. We all have Pittsburgh connections. Like I just so to be here, sitting with you, talking with you about this for your podcast. Just I want to tell you how warm and fuzzy and heart happy it makes me. And you know, not to be cheesy, but. I'm just really grateful because I watched the two of you in your business and you work together so well. Like Jed and I can't even agree on garage sale pricing. Like we could not be in business together. <laughs> and he will even say that he owns his own business. Like, this is... So to watch the two of you, it's really a magical thing and you really illuminate the way for so many to figure out how to work with making a life and not just a living But actually, doing it in a way that's mindful and beautiful and really exciting, so I love it, and I'm just really honored to be here. So I thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Licia. This was really a pleasure. So, and people can find you. Yeah,
1: where can they find on
0: Instagram at Licia Morelli? Spell that.
1: Can you spell that for everyone?
2: Yes. So it's Instagram at Licia Morelli. So it's L I C I A. M-O-R-E-L-L-I. I feel like I'm going to me. And <laughs> I think you, you can got also it right. find me at, You can also find me at Lysia.
1: I wish you had that on video. Lisia was yeah, trying to make sure she spelled her name correctly. <laughs> was, uh, looking up at the ceiling and just like the kids on the spelling bee on ESPN. That was, that was amazing.
2: Lysia Morelli. Yeah, no, I feel like, yeah, I really was having to think about that. So... <laughs> Also, you can find me at com. It's under construction, but there are still pages there where you can access things.
0: And you can get on your email list yes. there where mm-hmm. you're sharing your journey. Yes. And then you can also join your Facebook group, which is?
2: Lisia's list. I pimp what I love. Love it.
1: And all <laughs> the all the links for this will be in the show notes. Yeah. At knorthrop.com forward slash podcast.
2: Yeah,
0: so thank you, Licia, for coming on for our very first interview. This was amazing, and I love learning more about your journey. Thank you. I'm very inspired in many ways. And if you liked this show, please share it, especially with a friend who might be struggling with a health issue anyone who needs our health psas don't forget to check your moles and go get a thermogram instead of a mammogram and get your copy of the lemonade hurricane on amazon or your local book store and please leave us a review at itunes
1: yeah itunes is great it's well, a great place
0: i got i got lost there for a second thank you again for listening and we'll see you on the next episode thanks everyone bye